Well, good morning, church. Um, you guys can take a seat for a second. We'll read God's word in just a moment. Uh, unless you guys, well, let's, let's do some up-down games. We'll have a little fun today. Uh, very excited to be back up here preaching the word of God. Uh, yeah, God is good. God is gracious to us. Um, and what lovely song choices, again, un, unplanned, unless someone sent Paul Genesis 16, but certainly we see God's faithfulness and, and mercy and good things come out here in this chapter. Uh, as a quick recap, that's, that's why I had to sit, I want to recap chapter 15 uh, briefly as uh, Pastor Gilson went over that yesterday, or yesterday, last week. Uh, he went over that last week. As a recap, uh, Abraham... Uh, and God, right, they have this, this covenant. And remember, God uh, had Abraham cut the animals in half and separate them. And what they would do is they would walk through. And again, uh, that was kind of like a declaration. Like, if I do not come through on my part of this covenant, may I be like these animals. And remember, God put Abraham to sleep. And he didn't walk through. But the Lord himself went through uh, and so this is kind of the background. There's this covenant that has been made, a promise. And, and God, obviously, he cannot be like those dead animals. He 100% has to come through with his promise, right? That's why uh, I was reminded of, of uh, these songs, right? The Lord is faithful to do what he must do, right? 100% certainty. Uh, it's, it's like knowing 100% that you're going to win the lottery and God promised it to you. Uh, right, that, that certainty, that is the kind of uh, feeling probably that Abraham had had at that time. And moreover, this promise, and this is our setup for chapter 16, again, was fulfilled, was to be fulfilled by not Abraham or his wife. It was to be fulfilled by God alone. God alone went through what we, what we heard yes, uh, yesterday, I keep saying that, last week, God alone uh, was the one who went through. And it's with these things in mind that we approach Genesis chapter 16, because Genesis chapter 16, it shows us the danger of trying to bring about God's promises ourselves, in our flesh, in our own way. Uh, a wise uh, mentor of mine constantly uh, is reminding me of this truth that we are to do God's will, God's way, with God's resources in God's time. If God is to be the one who is doing the work, it is to be done God's way. If we're doing God's, God, uh, if, we're, if we're doing the work, it will be a failed plan of the flesh. Uh, this is essentially the lesson that we will learn here this morning from Genesis 16. And again, it emphasizes that we need to wait on the faithfulness of the Lord. He is faithful. Uh, so now let us read, let us now stand, and we will read Genesis uh, 16 at this time. Uh, here is, I'll have to step aside here because this screen's not working and I want to read along. So uh, here is the, the word of God, Genesis chapter 16. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, 
Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband, Abram, as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abram said to Sarai, Your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Therefore, the well was called Ber Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the son, uh, the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael. Let's read these verses together. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to the flesh shall reap, flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. Uh, please remain standing with me as we pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, um, we pray that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts, Lord, um, that we would be uh, receptive to what it is you have for us this morning and that you would transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit who is working within us. Lord, we thank you, we worship you, and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now, uh, just because you know 100%, right, that's Genesis 15, you know 100% that you'll receive something doesn't mean that we can bring that thing about however we so desire. Imagine for a moment a child who knows 100% what they're going to get for Christmas, Right? Maybe they even accidentally saw mom or dad wrapping it, and they know, maybe they're an only child, they know that gift has to be mine, that, that must be mine. They're 100% certain. 
they say, wow, that gift will be mine. Now imagine that based off of this knowledge, months before the time, months before Christmas, the child opening that gift, taking it, and using it before the proper time. You see, it's not right the way that gift was received. It actually kind of soils the experience and and ruins the experience of what that was supposed to be. It, It, in a sense, spoils the gift a little bit. It also shows that the child in their heart has made an idol of that gift because they're willing to disobey, to do something wrong in order to receive it. Now, what is uh, ironic is we too often make idols of very good things, sometimes even of blessings that God has for us. And instead of waiting to see how the Lord will miraculously bring these things about, allowing him to get credit for what he deserves, we attempt to force them to come about. Oftentimes in the name of wisdom, quote-unquote, And this often leads to major problems. Doing things our way, friends, has very real consequences. And we see that in Genesis chapter 16. However, even in this uh, soap opera of Genesis chapter 16, we still see the incredible mercy of God. Here then are three lessons, three things we learn from Genesis 16, we learn about the plan of the flesh. How did it come about? What was the heart that developed and conceived this plan? We'll learn about the consequences of the flesh. What did it result in? Was there any good that came out of it? What was this, who was affected by, by this plan of the flesh? And lastly, we will see God's incredible mercy, uh, the mercy of God. So let's j- jump into this, the plan of of the flesh. First, we see the plan of the flesh, and it comes again from this, this kind of thing we've already alluded to, this lack of patience and, and a distrust of the faithfulness of God that he is going to come through on their behalf as he had promised just a chapter ago. And let us look at, at this verse 3. It says, Abraham had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Verse 1 indicates that during this time, Sarai Abram's wife had borne him no children. I want us to, for a moment, pause, and I want us to really put ourselves in the shoes of these, or the sandals of these individuals. He and his wife are old. They receive a promise from God. They're probably so excited after that covenant promise, and then they're waiting, and nothing happens. They're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're still childless. I think sometimes because Abraham is a Sunday school figure, right, and we talk about him a lot in our stories, and we're pretty familiar with it, we forget how despondent these individuals probably were. I mean, they're looking around, and their circumstances are not looking good. It looks on a human level as if God is not going to be fulfilling what he said, It's not very difficult to see how faith in God could begin to wane after such a period of waiting on a promise, right? But but God never revealed the when, he just revealed the what. And that's incredibly frustrating sometimes for us when God doesn't give us all of the details of the plan. But brothers and sisters, might I suggest that he does this on purpose? 
If God wanted us to know the details of the plan, he would tell us the details of the plan. Remember, this is God's doing. God was the one to be responsible for bringing about the plan and the work. Abraham didn't walk through the animals, remember. God sometimes intentionally leaves details out, and that is because, friends, God is interested not in a kind of a robotic kind of movement uh, going from point A to point B. God is interested in a faith-based relationship with his children. That is what he wants. And, friends, sometimes that involves him not sharing all of the details with us. He is trying to develop faith within us. He is concerned with spiritual results, not merely going from point A to point B here in, in the physical world. So they, Abram and Sarai, they're in a season of waiting. God's promise 100% certain, and he is the one to do it all himself. Therefore, the only reason Sarai hadn't born children was because the timing was not right. It was not God's time. Now, you know for, for us as well, New Testament saint, that we too must wait for the promises that are in store for us. Right now, we may be enduring physical persecution or emotional persecution. Right now, there is wickedness. Right now, there's residual sin in our lives. Right now, there are many, many problems but friends, it is what we do now in the waiting on the promise that is important. Will we have a faith that perseveres or will we become upset with God about our circumstances? Here, here was Sarai's response. This is the response uh, uh, that enabled her to kind of create this, this wicked plan in her heart. Here is how she responded. Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. She develops anger at God. The plan of the flesh does not consider God's faithfulness. Instead, what, it, what happens is we start to reject that, that truth that God is faithful, and we start to say, No, God is not going to come through on this one. Uh, there is a sense in which she is rejecting the faithfulness of God. From this position, the plan of the flesh is conceived. She distrusts the Lord. And it had birthed within her not a child, but an anger towards the Lord, a condemnation to the Lord. She blames the Lord. She's, now, she's not here, pay attention, she's not here actually attacking God's power per se, right? That, that she's attacking rather his character of faithfulness. She's not saying God is unable. She is saying God has prevented. You see, that's, that's going towards the character of God. God is not, not uh, coming through with this promise. He is preventing it. Perhaps maybe she's uh, treating God like uh, the way the, the Canaanite idols, uh, the Canaan, Canaanite idols were treated, right? I need to do something here. God is preventing me from getting this, this blessing, right? Maybe she has a little bit of that mindset here. Uh, but it's a lack of faith of, in God's promises, and it always leads to discontentment with God. Whenever we begin to say, God, I'm not sure that you're going to come through, it's, it doesn't just stay there. It turns into an anger. It, it starts to plot. It starts to begin to develop a plan of the flesh. 
So here, pay attention, she's, not, she's clearly not viewing God correctly here. And you see, brothers and sisters, bad theology, it always results in bad practice. Poor views of God always lead to poor practices. Her error is that she is not viewing God as faithful. She is despondent, she is hopeless, and it is in these moments where one has one of two options. Continued trust in the faithfulness of God despite what we think and despite maybe our circumstances, or we develop a fleshly plan to compensate for God's supposed lack of faith, faithfulness. This is a mistake. The Lord is faithful, and the Lord, as we, we saw, it is to be in His timing. Consider, friends, that the Lord knows all things. God knew and planned when Sarah was to conceive. And friends, the conception that was planned was for Isaac, not Ishmael. That is, and, and, and mind you, that is the conception that eventually led to Messiah. Okay, you guys ever hear the butterfly effect where you're like, you trip and like it causes an earthquake down in like Japan or something, right? We don't know all of the details, but you know what? We have a God who does. And God was waiting for the perfect time. That way, this could literally propel his plan forward, his plan for salvation for the world, right? Matthew chapter 1 opens up with the genealogy. It says in verse 2, Abraham fathered Isaac is how it opens up. This is the start of the line. What a plan. What a grand plan. And it required God's perfect timing, not ours. Sarai isn't God. She couldn't see these things. Moreover, God wanted that relationship of faith with Abram and Sarai, and that involves trust. Trust, friends, that his plan is the best plan, that his timing is better than your timing, and recognize that he is faithful. So this fleshly plan, it stemmed from discontentment, from not trusting in God's timing, from accusing accusing God of not being faithful to bring about what he said. This is really all a condemnation of God saying, essentially, God doesn't know what he's doing. I can do better. Here we see the plan originates with humans and is totally about humans achieving something. It is our insatiable desire for control. And think about it. If I, if I know God is going to bless me, and I become obsessed with when and where and how, these details, though they seem innocent enough, often contribute to us trying to achieve things ourselves. It removes aspects of faith from the blessing, and it becomes really all about us. It is selfish. You see, the promise is for me. I myself bring it about. It is me, me, me. And God is absent from this plan. God is absent from the picture here. This is contrary to the walk and relationship with God that we're to have. It's all in the flesh. It's all in our own insufficient strength. She needed to bring about the plan uh, herself. She needed the glory. This was Sarai's plan of the, the flesh. Sarai said to Abram, please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. You see, the last chapter was the Lord talking to Abraham, giving the promise, saying that he himself would bring it about. 
Now we see Sarai talking to Abram, giving a fleshly plan to bring it about. That is not what the Lord had intended. No one prayed. You don't see prayer here. You don't see seeking the Lord here in chapter 16. It is solely human effort. And friends, when things are done in human effort, we literally strip the miraculous right from it. Hagar's impregnation, it's no miracle, right? That's, that's ordinary. That's expected on, on human effort. This plan of the flesh, it attempted to remove the miraculous intervention of the Lord right out of the picture. And remember, God is the one who is to do, to bring about this work. He was to be deeply involved in this process. And friends, so I ask us, are we trying to grow our church in our own power? Are we praying for God to grow his church? Or instead, are we coming up with our own growth plans? The worst thing in the world is for us to plan all of these things in the flesh, completely leave God absent, and then go forward with it. It is the worst thing for us to do such a move. You may even, I mean, even the plan of the flesh with growth, church growth in particular, you might end up with larger number of congregants. But if God is absent, what a worthless plan, friends. Are we trying to do things and bring things about in our own strength, in our own power? Are you trying to be sanctified in your own power? Do we have developed, have we developed kind of sanctification plans that don't involve God? Are we doing this in our willpower? Friends, if we're doing that, it will be a huge failure. It's going to blow up in our face. We cannot plan without the Lord. Moreover, we shouldn't be planning at all. We should be waiting on the Lord and waiting to see the miracle that he's going to perform. I pray that God has deep involvement in your life, that you're not going about plans in your, in your flesh. I pray that you're living in such a way that God is participating in your life. Do we make our career choices? Do we buy our homes, our cars, live our life without considering God and without considering how the Lord wants to move? Considering the career maybe the Holy Spirit might have for you. Involve him in your life, friends. Remember, the fatal flaw was that it was not relational. It was robotic process to get. But you see, what should have happened is it should have been relationship. God should have been involved in this. It could have been deep. It could have been beautiful. Involve him in your life, friends. Otherwise, we risk planning in our own wisdom for our own glory. And when we do this, we really sell ourselves short and achieve only what mere foolish human achievements can, can, can get us. We need to stop draining the miraculous out of the plans uh, of, of our lives. The best plan of the flesh, if void of God, is misery. Don't sell yourself short. God's plans are the, are, are the best. And it's easy to be deceived. Uh, we see Abr Abram was deceived into this plan. The plan of the flesh, it is indeed deceptive. 
Abram listened. It said, Sarai said to Abram, please go into my maid. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. What is striking is that this fleshly plan deceptively correlates in a warped, convoluted way to what God told Abram. There is something deceptive at work here. But look, here is the brute fact of the matter. She is making a claim that this adulterous act with Hagar is God's plan. Do you see how deceptive this is? Friends, I cannot tell you how often I hear sinful actions deceptively promoted in the name of wisdom, quote-unquote, and bringing about God's will. Again, think of the church growth example. Some of the ideas promoted nowadays in our culture, just absent of truth, don't talk about sin. Don't talk about sin. We need to because we need to recognize how much we need the Lord. But it sounds so deceptive, right? Oh, God wants to grow his church. The way to do it, let's, let's avoid truth. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. It is nonsense. How about this? Let's, let's all cheat on our taxes to give to the poor. You guys want to do that? No, it's an awful idea, right? Yes, we are to give to the poor. That is something God wants. That is part of his plan for, for, for everyone, really, to be giving to the poor and helping the poor. However, we cannot just do whatever we want to get there. We have to do it God's way. God's plan will never involve sinful actions. And some of us, once again, need to trust in the Lord's plan and wait for his provision. Other avenues that seem like they will work, they're often deceptive. They're deceptive versions of sin waiting to destroy us. Uh, recently, uh, I felt just after praying and seeking the Lord, just this, this sort of desire um, to go back to school and saying, oh, all right, I think God has this plan for me to go back to school. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, um, but I'm going I'm to try this because I believe that this is what the Lord wants. And so I started uh, you know, applying, got accepted, all of that, and I still have no way to pay for it, and an opportunity shows up. And the opportunity uh, paid very well. It paid um, more than what I was making at my day job, and it was kind of like a side gig. And um, it was very tempting to take it. However, as I was looking at the details, uh, there were some financial ambiguous things that didn't sit right with my soul. Uh, in that moment, I, I remember thinking, oh, well, we're to be as wise as serpents, innocent as doves, right? And so... I'm, am I really doing something wrong here? And kind of trying to argue my way out of it. Then I looked up the context of that. That's that, the context of that is standing before uh, officials as a Christian being persecuted. So I said, oh, I think I can throw that out. I don't, I don't, don't think I should be taking this opportunity. Uh, and I said, all right, God, how are you going to provide? That week, now it doesn't always happen this soon. It happens in God's perfect timing. That week, I got an email for a uh, scholarship opportunity. Applied, and boom, the Lord gave me the means to do exactly what he wanted me to do. Now, I could have before said, oh, the means God is giving me is this opportunity. 
That would have been selling myself short. That would have been falling for deception. We need discernment. Sarai's plan, it was nonsense. But see again how deceptive it sounds. And your fleshly plans, though this one seems so obvious, right? Have adultery, that seems like an awful plan. And we look at it like, oh, of course. Um, But friends, when you encounter things, it'll be deceptive to you. And you might just buy into it. Abram did. Friends, we need discernment. When deceptive-sounding wisdom is presented to us, pray. Read the word of God. We need to double-check with godly saints. We most of all need God's involvement in the plan. Any plan void of God's involvement, plan of the flesh, this lack of faith, disinvolvement of God is the birth of this fleshly plan. And so we see that it unfortunately came to fruition. Verse 3 tells us Abram's wife, Sarai, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to the husband, uh, to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. It all came about. And now there were consequences. The consequences of the flesh. Sinful plans, they never work out well. They might look good. There may even be a season of seeming success. However, we know that the one who sows in the flesh reaps accordingly. Right? We read it, Galatians 6, 7. For whatever a person sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows in the flesh shall reap, uh, shall from the flesh reap corruption. Now what is interesting here as we're reviewing the consequences is that every single individual involved in this plan and even others who were not directly involved have negative consequences from this plan of the flesh. First, we see Sarai's consequences. Verse 4, he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. Now we need to put ourselves uh, back in this time period for, for a moment. During this ancient period, childbearing was an enormous honor of the woman. In fact, it could very well be viewed as the glory of the woman. This is how families expanded their workforce. This is how you became successful. Your position in society was often directly related to how many children that you had. Therefore, there's much identity caught up in bearing children. You were fulfilling your duty as a child bearer. And with this in mind, it's easy to see how Sarai was getting her identity. She became obsessive. She became impatient, distrustful of God, goes through with this plan. Sarai, however, who hoped to bring about this plan in her flesh, she's now despised by Hagar. It blows up in her face. Hagar gets sort of that position of honor, right? She's protected now. She's a wife, no longer a complete slave to Sarai. And now Hagar despises Sarai, it says in the scripture. She who is trying to do things without God to make a name for herself is despised by this Egyptian slave, Hagar. And this is probably not what she expected. Hagar was supposed to be a tool in Sarai's toolkit. Nothing more. Remember Sarai, verse 2, she says, perhaps I will obtain children through her. This was, again, the Sarai-centric plan. And now her prior slave, 
sort of has a one-up on her. She, in a sense, stole a position of honor from Sarai, at least at this point in the narrative. And moreover, we're going to see continued problems between Hagar and Sarai in chapters to come. It doesn't go away. So you see, Sarai suffered consequences for her fleshly plan. Sarai was not God and failed to recognize some very important facts. Facts of the soul, particularly the intricacies of Hagar and how she would respond here. Now, again, here with 2020 hindsight vision, of course it's easy to see, uh, you know, that, this, that Hagar and Sarai would be at odds. I mean, verse 3 indicates that Hagar is recognized as Abram's wife. You see, marriage was not designed this way. There are all sorts of physical and emotional sins at play here, and now it's all kind of coming to the surface. She's an emotional, jealous mess, hated by a former slave. And it is her own doing. This was her own plan coming to fruition. Again, God's timetable, much better than ours. If we got everything we wanted, when we wanted, did things our way, we would destroy ourselves. We would wreck ourselves. Sarai lost sight of the fact that God is the only being who's omniscient and powerful and truly capable to account for everything in order to make the best possible outcome. She sold herself short, and now she is reaping, reaping a consequence. Friends, that plan that you think is going to work out so well could very well be your demise, could very well blow up in your face. There could be a lot of unforeseen things that, that come from it. It will cause you harm. It will emotionally wreck you. There's a reason God is God, right? He's smarter than us. Right? The chi- it's like the child who puts their hand on the hot stove. This is a good idea. <laughs> Ow. Right? And that's, that's sort of what's going on here. Uh, this is the tss-ow for Sarai. But we also see that Abraham suffers consequences here too. Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that She had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now she is saying, and some translations make this more clear, she's saying, you, Abram, are responsible for the way Hagar treated me. She is upset with Abram for allowing Hagar to treat her this way. Not only, you see, are there problems between Hagar and Sarai, there's problems between Sarai and Abram. There is a strain between them, and there is a sense in which Abram is to blame. Abram indeed committed the act. Abram indeed is to share uh, the blame here. He was the one, it says in Scripture, who went into Hagar and committed the act. He listened to his wife's fleshly plan, and in fact, he was the necessary person who brought the evil plan into fruition. He is not an innocent person here. Sarai's plan, it depended on Abraham's actions, and he went through with it all. He took Hagar as an additional wife, and now he is responsible for cleaning up a giant mess. Right? He is the patriarch, and now he has this mess before him, and it is indeed his own doing as well. 
I mean, think about it. He has one wife, Sarai, who feels inferior to another wife, Hagar, who used to be Sarai's slave but is now pregnant with her husband's child. Again, this is the soap opera that is Genesis chapter 16. It's just a mess. And by the way, sometimes people try to argue that the Bible supports polygamy in the Old Testament. Anytime there's any kind of polygamous activity in the Old Testament, it is a mess. And we see that here uh, firsthand this morning. Massively negative effects. It's contrary to the picture of marriage in Genesis earlier on, right? This is against what God had wanted. It's all just so messy. Sin is messy, friends. It corrupts. It affects those around us. The result of sin it never ends up the way we think. So now Abram here is in, involved in this mess. He shares blame and in a sense severely damages his relationships. And our sinful plans can also complicate situations. The plan of the flesh, it never simplifies anything. It always complicates things. It always will complicate things in your life. Sarai is not letting Abram sit back and get off scot-free here. Sarai even mentions God's judgment in her anger. She says, may the Lord judge. Friends, this incitement of judgment, uh, it's probably stemming from more than just Sarai's frustration. There's probably a, a, tr a kernel of truth there, right? The Lord indeed is the judge. And he will find not one or the other wrong. He will find both wrong when that, when that judgment comes down. However, there is some truth to what she says. The Lord, indeed, is the judge of both of these individuals. And certainly in these moments, Abram is contemplating his sin, witnessing the da damage. He's now strained emotionally, and he's in a rather tricky predicament. I mean, he's taken Hagar as his wife. This means that, again, Sarai doesn't have full control over Hagar as a slave. Hagar is protected by, by her husband, Abram. So Abram, in order to put Sarai at ease to affirm, you know, that she's still number one, still the most important, Abram renounces his protection now over his wife, Hagar, and gave her back into the hands of Sarai. You see, and this is bad problem solving, right? Instead of saying, let's pray, we need to repent, we need to go before the Lord, what we see is he perpetuates the plan. He brings about even more damage here, and he, he gives Hagar back into the hands of Sarai. And now we see Hagar's consequences, right? Uh, Abram said to Sarai, your maid is in your power. Do with her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly and she fled from her presence. Let us remember that as well, Hagar participated in this plan. Hagar probably saw this thing as a whole big opportunity for advancement in some ways. She would no longer be just the slave. She would be a wife, a place of honor, bearing children. We talked about that. Now, the scriptures don't indicate too much of what the true intentions of Hagar were, so we can only inquire so deeply. Perhaps she wanted to participate in the plan. Perhaps there was some reservations. Uh, either way, scripture indicates that the plan did happen. Hagar participated Right? She could have stood her ground, prayed, wait for the Lord's intervention. Right? It's, that's not an impossibility. I can imagine a world where that happens. And so she bears responsibility. Moreover, I tend to believe that Hagar, though a slave, 
did all of this willingly because verse 4 indicates that Hagar indeed did despise Sarai. This isn't just in Sarai's mind saying, oh, Hagar's despising me now. It says in the scripture in verse 4, Hagar despised her, her, for, her former mistress or her mistress, right? So this goes to show that there's some workings in the heart here. I think we could make an argument that Hagar was a willing participant in all of this. And so Hagar has consequences here as well. Hagar, who believed, you know, she has this bond with Abram, in a sense, is abandoned and thrown back into the hands of angry Sarai. Moreover, this happens again in a deeper sense in chapter 21. These consequences linger. Hagar is literally treated so harshly that she flees. This consequence comes directly from the plan of the flesh. Had this fleshly plan not been accomplished, Hagar would likely have never despised Sarai in this type of blatant way leading to this situation. Sometimes sin can result in emotional turmoil, conflict with our spouse, confusing situations, and sometimes it can result in some pretty serious things as well. There are serious consequences to sin. Here, Hagar's treated so poorly, she flees. And, and watch this. This is interesting as well. There are consequences even that are more far-reaching for the future, for the child who was even conceived through this mess. It says, verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will, have to live, to the, and he will live to the east of all his brothers. Friends, the consequences of sin are far-reaching and long-lasting. Sometimes our sin doesn't just affect us. We have this idea that all of our sins, uh, that we're in control of all of the pieces. We're not. It always gets out of hand, and it always has far worse consequences than we can imagine. Ishmael would be at odds with all of those around him. Everyone would be against him. He would be against everyone. A wild donkey of a man, untamed. Oh, our sins can affect so much. I recall um, there's, there's support in Joshua 7, right? They're taking the city the, of Ai and taking the promised land, and someone sins, Achan sins. And what does it result in? It results in them losing that battle the first time and losing men. People died because of sin in that case. Sin has far-reaching consequences, friend. It never stays tamed in, in the box that you think it will stay in. And this is true with believers as well. 1 Corinthians 12, when one part hurts, they all hurt. We are one body. Our sinful plans could explain why at times church feels so dry. Oh, sometimes you like to point the finger all the time and, oh, it's, it's because our programming's not good or this or that. It might just be because our planning is awful and we shouldn't be planning anything to begin with. It might just be that there's sin in the midst of us causing this. And friends, we need to be conscious. We need to be uh, with a heart ready to repent because sin affects those around us. Sin stifles progress. It stifles growth. And it can indeed cause harm to one another. We are one body. And we are to be holy. One body to be holy. Moreover, consider that the effects of sin affects things perhaps in a future time. 
Now, here's something to ponder. Ishmael, said to be an ancestor of Muhammad, who founded the deceptive alternative to truth, Islam, uh, at least is the, is the claim. Uh, if that's true, then we can see that there's even conflict in the Middle East today. If indeed that, that claim is true and Ishmael is a descendant, right? Now, the point is not to bash uh, followers of Islam as all violent. That's not the forum for this the place to discuss it. The point is to maybe just think for a moment how far-reaching sin could possibly be. Understanding that those secret sins, those plans in the flesh that seem so wise actually gravely impact the world around us. That should serve as a deterrent from doing these things. We're to refocus back on the Lord, on his faithfulness to see his word through himself. And so we see loads of consequences. It's just a mess. It's just a mess. But we see something very powerful here. We see the mercy of God at play. The mercy of God. Well, for starters, God clearly has mercy on Abram and Sarai because we know how the story ends. They will indeed still conceive Isaac. Praise God, right, that, that the plans that we generate don't interrupt his plans. It's a wonderful act of mercy. But in our text, furthermore, in this very chapter, we see God's mercy revealed in a very special way to Hagar. Verse 7, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. Mercy always originates. It comes from God. Notice here, I've said it in the past as, as we've been going over this, no one's praying, no one's pausing to ponder God or to ponder repentance. Look who sought who here. God found her. She's on the run, trying to get away from her consequences for, for everything that has happened. She's leaving, and God finds her. The goodness of God, the mercy of God, truly, friends, is chasing after us. Here, Hagar is on the run, probably back to... Egypt, her original home, right? She was probably picked up in Genesis chapter 12 when uh, Abram went to Egypt. She's on her way back. She's going back to that life. And now she must pass a desert. And moreover, she's pregnant and probably going to die because this journey is by herself with, on the run. She probably doesn't have a lot of food or water. Now, I can't talk from experience here, but I hear being pregnant is kind of difficult as well. Uh, I hear it's difficult when you're not trying to cross a desert on the run. So you can imagine what Hagar is going through right now as she's leaving her past behind her. She's trying to run from her consequences, and here the Lord finds her. She's about to perpetuate another plan, right? Probably likely to die in the wilderness if not for God. And God finds her and stops her in her tracks and offers mercy to her. God is the giver. And this is the idea that is reinforced here, that God is the originator. He, all mercy comes from him. Friends, if you're suffering consequences of your own fleshly plans, God still seeks after you. God still loves you. God still intervenes. And he wants the best for you still. He doesn't want you to die in the wilderness of your own plans. 
God wants to bless you even when you mess up. And here's what the Lord says to Hagar. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing the presence of my mistress. Now, God very well knew the answer to these questions. He's God, right? That's, that's something we've been saying. He knows all of the details. He knows everything. He knew the answer to these questions. But you see, it was honest confession that opened her up to deeper mercy and blessing from the Lord. Friend, be honest this morning. Come out of hiding. Tell the Lord what's going on in your heart. Confess to him what you have done, what you're doing. Ironically, it opens up. It opens us up to his love, to his mercy, to his forgiveness. It's never ceasing. Be honest with God about your fleshly plans. And be honest with God about the consequences Invite the Lord into the picture. You see, this is kind of like a restoration moment of sorts for the chapter. God's invited back in. And the second he is, you see blessing. You see mercy. And friends, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he offers that to us today. We can stop running. We can come out of hiding and we can receive the wonderful mercy of God despite our foolish plans. Invite the Lord back into the picture. Now, when this happens, it has to happen in a deep way, right? We have to stop. We have to let God sit back on the throne and and trust in him, view him as faithful again, right? And so we see that the angel of the Lord says this, says, return to your mistress and submit yourself her authority. Probably not something that prior to this conversation Hagar was so keen on doing, right? She was running from from that very situation. And that is the command of the Lord. That is the plan of God. And Hagar now has an opportunity. Will I trust this plan or will I go through with my own? And God mercifully intervenes, you know, in her original plan and offers her an opportunity to repent, to turn, to literally go the opposite direction and go back to where she came. Friends, this is the mercy of God that we repent and try again. That we quickly obey what he has said. Let him sit on the throne. This seems counterintuitive to me. I don't know if I would go right back. Maybe I wouldn't cross that desert, but maybe I would look for something else, right? But here we see uh, God's plan, right? God back on the throne telling Hagar what to do, and Hagar will obey that, and she is greatly blessed because of it. Imagine she died in that wilderness, friends. She would miss out on the mercy of the great blessing that was to come for her. It says, uh, verse 10, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. You see, she receives a blessing as well. Now, what's interesting is this whole thing um, is a manifestation of God before her, right? This whole interaction is what we call theophanies, some sort of manifestation of God. Uh, It's more than just an angel. It's the angel of the Lord. Verse 10 says, I will greatly multiply, right? This This is more than just an angel speaking. This is God's intervention directly offering blessing and mercy 
to Hagar. His mercy, absolutely amazing here. Friends, and he, he offers mercy to the sinner this morning. He wants to bless you with bigger blessings and even just descendants. I mean, it's awesome. She shares the blessing to some extent that God would be so merciful to the slave Hagar who in sin participated in this plan and now God is blessing her. What merciful God we have. But here is something interesting to note. God makes this promise, but I want to look at Hagar's response. Here's what Hagar says after the Lord is done speaking to her. It says, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are God who sees. For she said, Have I even remained alive here after seeing him? She is in complete awe. She, her first response isn't, wow, God, thank you for blessing me with the descendants. Her response is one where her jaw is dropped and she is in awe of seeing the Lord. She's not talking about the child she'll have or the descendants, not here, not now. Her first response is that she has experienced God and lived. And friend, that is the most beautiful mercy that the Lord offers us here this morning as well. Her response is awe and worship, having a God who sees her, who interacts with her, intervenes with her, and having her see him and being alive. You see, the truest blessing is actually the experience and the relational aspect of the Lord, that thing that, that was thrown away at the beginning of the chapter. That's the true blessing. That's the true mercy that God has for us. And it's available to each and every person in this room here this morning. You know, it says when, when Christ died, the veil was torn. The veil was torn in two, and his Holy Spirit can make his home in you. In the life of the saint, he can be involved. He can interact with you. You can see him, you can experience him, and you can live, friends. And this is only possible by the work of Jesus Christ. It's only possible by the, cr the cross. And friends, there still may be temporal, earthly consequences that we face. And God doesn't promise to take all of those away all of the time. But no matter what you've done, even if you find yourself in prison for some awful plan of the flesh that you carried out, God can encounter you, and God can forgive you, and you can live eternity with him. You can experience him. He himself is the mercy. All of it originates from him. God can encounter you and forgive you and still work in your life despite what you've done. He is a God of mercy, and the means of that mercy is Jesus Christ. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. We've all at one point had a plan of the flesh, and it's been an awful idea, and it's led to some pretty terrible consequences for each and every one of us. But God can take away the worst consequence, that separation from him. And he did, in fact, do that for all of those who believe upon Jesus Christ, that Jesus was God, came in, in the form of sinful flesh. He himself was not sinful, but he came in our form and took our place. 
And he followed God's plan perfectly to the T, followed it perfectly. And, and our sin was imputed on him. It went on him and his righteousness he gives us. A God of great mercy. And he died for you, took that consequence, took the worst consequence so you wouldn't have to. And he rose from the dead to vindicate himself, who he was, and to have everlasting relationship with you and be glorified for all eternity. That is what is offered to you. That is what is offered to you this morning. Here's what we've seen. We've seen a plan of the flesh, how it was conceived. It stemmed from a lack of faith. We've seen awful consequences that sin always corrupts, confuses, distorts, leads to physical harm, all sorts of things. But lastly, we've seen the great mercy of a Lord who intervenes and who doesn't give up on us and who seeks us out. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, Lord, though we mess up, though we conceive plans in the flesh, that you are still faithful, that you yourself have established an everlasting covenant, Lord, and that your promises are always true. Oh God, teach us to rely on you. Teach us to keep you on the throne and Lord, let us never make a plan in our own strength, in our own flesh. Lord, we love you. We pray that you transform us and continue to move uh, in our lives. In Christ.